you know, when you get to be a big, strong guy, you know what comes along with that. You get muscle bound. You're not really flexible. You don't have that agility. You can't like move or run. I mean, you know, why would you bother doing that? Because if that's what you believe, you're totally wrong. And you're going to find out more about that with today's guest, uh, who you may know as Juji Mufu. This is going to be a whole lot of fun on today's episode of The Movement Movement, the podcast for people who want to know the truth about what it takes to have a happy, healthy, strong body. You're going to learn a whole bunch of things you didn't know about that today. And this is usually starting feet first because, you know, those things are your foundation. Uh, on this podcast, we tend to break down the propaganda, the mythology, sometimes the lies you've been told about what it takes to run or walk or hike or lift or do CrossFit or yoga, whatever it is you like to do, to do that enjoyably and effectively and efficiently. And did I mention enjoyably? Of course I did, because it's a trick question. Uh, so look, if you're not having fun, do something different until you are, because you're not going to keep it up if you're not having a good time. I am Stephen Sashin, your host for this event. Uh, I'm the co-founder and CEO of Zero Shoes at ZeroShoes.com. And more importantly, um, we call this the movement movement because we're creating a movement that involves you. It's free. It's easy. I'll tell you more in a second about natural movement, letting your body do what bodies are made to do. If you want to find out more, you can go to www.jointhemovementmovement.com. Find all the previous episodes. There's way more than I remembered, actually. Uh, and also all the ways you can find the podcast on all the normal places you find podcasts. And then, of course, our social media on Instagram and Facebook and YouTube. And the movement part, what you're doing to help, just share, like, give us a thumbs up, hit the bell on YouTube. You know what to do. If you want to be part of the tribe, please subscribe. So let's get started. Juji, it is a total pleasure to do this. I mean, we've been having email volleys and we've had a couple of phone calls over the years. It's our first time doing this. So um, total treat having you here. Hey, thank you. That was a really good intro. I was impressed. I've been on a lot of podcasts. <laughs> I was, I'm just sitting here kind of cracking up at a smile like, dang, it's like he's reading from a teleprompter or something. I know you're not, though. In my but brain, baby. <laughs> really good. Really good. Uh, but thanks for having me. Yeah, we've uh, we've kept in touch here and there, and it's been great. For me, it's an honor uh, to oh. you know, have the time with you because owning... I run my own businesses. You know, I, I'm an owner of two businesses and even the YouTube channel is kind of counts as a business, the amount of work it is, but you're running, uh, you're the CEO of a shoe company, man. Like that's gotta be hard. Like I'm thinking like, man, colorways and like sizes for like pants and stuff is like nothing compared to the difficulty <laughs> of being able to figure out how you're going to do that with shoes, man. You got like what, like 25, yeah. 30 different sizes for how many colorways, yeah. for how many styles, guys, that is so, I don't want to know how hard that is. Well, let's just say, I'll say a couple things. One, um, so we just moved into a 90,000 square foot warehouse. So that answers part of that question. Oh my Second, God, that's huge. It's crazy. <laughs> um, it's literally, it's three, wait, it's about 110 meters in one direction. And I'm really bummed because I wanted to lay down a hundred meters worth of track surface so I could train indoors. But uh, it turned out that that was going to be prohibitively expensive. So we didn't do that. But there's also just the making of footwear. Footwear is really, really challenging to make. And we had guys like seven months into the business who sat down with us and said they'd been at Reebok. They started at Reebok 35 years earlier. They'd been at Nike and Adi and Puma, you name it. They said to me and Lena, we believe in what you're doing and we believe in you guys. And we would start this business with you. But we've been in footwear so long that we're not stupid enough to try and start a shoe company. <laughs> <laughs> and well, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's kind of like, it's kind of like, uh, you know, Elon Musk, you know, does cars. It's like, wow, starting a car company and being an innovator, you know, that in an industry that's that mature already, yeah. 
Like you're doing that with shoes are no joke, man. That's a hard industry to crack into. And you came in with when did zero shoe start? Well, technically we started in the end of 2009. That's when we were just selling a do-it-yourself sandal kit. And it was just, it started out, we thought it'd be a little lifestyle business. We did not ever imagine that we'd have 65 employees that we would have heard from hundreds of thousands of people who said that doing this changed their life. Um, We didn't expect to find out that what the footwear industry has been doing for 50 years is frankly completely unacceptable because they know that they are misleading people. And so we're, we, you know, yeah, it's been a wild ride. Well, it's, it's, it's amazing. I, I just want everyone watching this and just kind of have some context to how amazing that is. So, well, thanks. Yeah, your shoes are great. I'm wearing them right now. Um, uh, the latest ones, the, the 360s you yep. sent me. Thank you. Uh, 10 out of 10. I can't remember the last time I had a pair of shoes that didn't have some sort of con, you know, pros and cons list, zero cons. It's just like oh, negative about the shoes. It's perfect. So great job. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. We, we've got a great design team, great development team. Things are getting better, but enough about me. Let's talk about you. So let's start with this thing. Many people know you from being on America's Got Talent. And mm-hmm. was that your first time on national TV? Um, The first time that I actually went and did a performance or something, because a lot of the footage that I've released over the years have been licensed to companies to resell to other companies to do ads with. So one of the media companies that license out my footage will sell it to, I don't know, some large company like Google. And then I will have one of my clips flash in a Google ad, which when I was sitting in my living room, and I knew this was something that was happening for last year. They never tell me who they sell it to. I just, you know, I just see some money go into the bank account randomly when the ad is done. Right. I, if the money goes in the account, you can't see the ad anymore. It's gone. They stop airing it. So the first time I actually saw one of my things appear is I'm sitting on a couch and, and there's Google and there's me. I'm like, oh, I'm getting paid. Oh, I'm getting paid real big now, you know, because Google's a good payer, you know, and it was during the Olympics it was aired. That was in 2000, I think, 16. So, but America's Got Talent was the first time I was actually on a show like that. Yes. So let's first describe what you did on that show, because they may not put two and two together until you describe the, the thing that you did. I will let you have the pleasure. Yeah, so I just did a routine that was a mixture of acrobatics, an extreme display of flexibility and some strength and some yelling and uh, just being, you know, a little more muscular than average. And you put those things together and it's, it's kind of a, it's a quick way of describing what I do. Or what yeah, I let am. me. All right. Since you're not going to do it, let me do these more specific version. So you basically stood on two folding chairs put Heidi Klum over your head and moved the chairs out by the magic of gravity until you were doing the splits suspended by those chairs with Heidi Klum over your head. I did the splits with a barbell overhead and then I did the splits with Heidi later. So I <laughs> Oh, later. so barbell. You know, was, yeah, but you know, it's funny because uh, the producers of the show, the barbell between the chairs, uh, the barbell, weighted split between chairs is one it's the hardest thing I can do and it's the hardest thing I have done it is very difficult to do that skill it takes a lot of warm-up a lot of preparation right before you do it and it's just really freaking hard to do that and I was worried about the chair placement and the barbell like the type and the plates and stuff I wanted to make sure that everything was set perfectly for me when I went on stage and they were like yeah yeah whatever we'll get it and they were more worried about me dropping Heidi 
I was like, yeah, that was actually really easy. I was like, no, 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 don't worry about that. She's like, do you need to practice with someone? I was like, no. They're like, well, what do we do? They were, they were freaking out because they didn't understand the thing that was hard for me. They weren't taking seriously. And the thing that was, they thought was like dangerous, like lifting overhead, Heidi overhead. They thought that was like the hard thing. I was like, no, that's the easy thing. So I don't know. I wasn't even worried about that. That's, that's an easy technique. Pressing a human overhead and then the front splits on the ground is no problem for me. But the chair splits between the side splits between the chairs with a barbell, that's freaking hard, man. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I just love that they let you do that. When we were on Shark Tank, I, I was going to do, I had this line when we were on Shark Tank about how I'm one of the fastest guys over 55 and, well, and then over 50 in the country. And I was going to make some comment about at that time I was deadlifting about, you know, 420, 425. And I'm not a big guy. I'm, I was at the time five, five. Now, thanks to spinal problems, I'm like five, four and a half, but I was, you know, like <laughs> five, five, 150. And I was expecting Mark Cuban to, you know, kind of scoff if I said I was pulling 400 plus. And my plan was to then like throw him in a fireman's carry over my shoulders and just squat him a few times. And I told this to the producers, they're like, whoa, no, you can't touch the sharks. So the fact that, you know, <laughs> that you put Heidi in what, what many people think of as a precarious position, um, I just thought that was just genius. That is, yeah. I think pressing, I think Heidi is a little bit more uh, fragile than Mark Cuban. <laughs> or not fragile, but precious. More, yes. more, more, uh, yeah, it's more precious than Mark Cuban. <laughs> uh, I, think, I don't think Cuban ever had his legs or boobs insured. Oh. <laughs> I think Heidi did both of those. I might not be, might not be totally right about that. So back up a little bit, because what we just talked about is, you know, doing the splits between chairs or on the floor with, with some weight over your head. This is the kind of flexibility that most people, and if people are just listening to this, actually, let's do that. For people who are just listening, why don't you describe as best as you can your size and shape? <laughs> <laughs> I'm five. I'm about five ten. Right now, I'm about two sixty. And uh, when I first did that stunt, I was about two thirty. So anywhere, but, yeah, I'm a two hundred thirty pound dude, uh, about five ten, doing uh, splits between chairs. Yeah. <laughs> and at two sixty ish, you know, this is not like a guy who just weighs two sixty. You are pretty lean. So this is two hundred sixty pounds of a whole lot of muscle. And so, and again, people, what people associate with that is being quote muscle bound, not having flexibility, not being able to move, not being able to um, run or well, I mean, a bunch of things and you prove all of that wrong. So if you can, again, I'm putting you on the spot, describe just a handful of the things that you do that are the opposite of what I just laid out that people believe. Okay. So I'm going to go ahead and say that the flexibility and the mobility being reduced as you go up in size, that's a myth. Yeah. Like that's just it, no way, man. Like bigger doesn't mean stronger, but usually bigger muscles are, you know, there's capacity for strength. You know, strength is one of the things that actually helps mobility out the most, the flexibility out the most. So actually, I mean, as I've gotten older and larger, the flexibility has not gone away. It's actually getting a little better. The more, I, if I train it more and it's just like, it's amazing. I, I love, I love stretching. I, I love moving through different ranges of motion stuff. It feels good. And the size doesn't affect it at all zero like it is okay now i also do acrobatics flips and right. stuff and that was actually my background that gets harder as you age i mean you're about to turn 60 i think you said yeah, your i got pass. i got 60 coming up soon and thanks to COVID, i haven't been in a gym in a couple of years so i've got to go find a gym and throw a couple of standing backflips <laughs> before my 60th birthday 
Yeah, you're going to do a backflip on your 60th. I, I want to see that. You'll so, see it. But you know, like the weight and size do affect acrobatics because there's more mass moving around the air. Age yeah. will. I, I'm curious. I got to ask you now. You've been doing backflips for almost longer than I've been alive. I think you said. I did my first standing backflip when I was maybe 13, 13, 14. So, okay, you know, so much longer than I've been alive. 46 years. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't just call you old in a roundabout way. Though. I'm okay <laughs> with it. You know? No, I'm actually enjoying. In fact, you know, I'm turning 60 in June, but I've been telling people I'm 60 now because it's super fun. And yeah. uh, in fact, I was supposed to go out and do some videos with a guy who does a bunch of strength things that I can do not as well as him, but you know, pretty close. And I was looking forward to just saying over and over, dude, I'm twice your age. So we haven't gotten to do that yet. But yeah, it's it, it changes. No question about it. So it changes. It's mainly the speed kind of slows down yeah. as you get older. That's what I've noticed is the first thing that kind of goes. So the acrobatics has gotten harder as I've gotten older because I've been putting on size because I've been prioritizing, adding some mass for fun. And also it's just the speed goes away first, but the flexibility, the mobility, the quality of, of basic movements like that. No, man, there's no, there's no reason why, you know, those should go so, anywhere. So how did the acrobatic stuff start for you? What, what was the original thing you were doing? Yeah, so originally I got uh, the, my intro into fitness training, that this entire world um, was through Taekwondo. It was a kicking martial art way of the foot is what Taekwondo translates to. And I did that for about a year and a half, two years before I found some videos online around the year 2000 where these people are doing acrobatics with kicks. It's called tricking. And um, it was the West Coast uh, martial arts schools over there were bringing this stuff kind of posting videos online and the first time i saw the stuff it was like seeing a color i'd never seen in my entire life for the first time that's how blown away i was i was like whoa 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 whoa! hold on a second that's what i want to do that is what i want to do because i'd never seen anything like that so i started going to my backyard and i'd sit there with the space bar on these uh mp mpeg files i download from the internet you know right click save target as to like <laughs> a little a little file link and i'd sit there and play this potato quality video with a space bar hitting it over and over again trying to pause play to see where his foot placement was where his Whereas where he was looking, you know, what was happening in the skill. And I just run in my backyard and I tried myself and that's how I trained to do all the acrobatic stuff I can do. I just taught myself how to do it. So wait, hold on. So you taught yourself to do a standing backflip? Yeah. Yeah. What was the progression like? Because most people, when they try to do that, they first, you know, like freak out and land on their butt or if they're slightly quote better, they land on their head, but that's a weird thing to learn cold without, you know, someone there to give you some serious guidance. I didn't have any guidance, but I did get a spotter. So a spotter is someone who just stands there and they have one hand on your lower back and one hand behind your ham, yep. you know, near your hamstrings. And when you jump, they just kind of roll you over or, you know, if you feel really bad, they, they yeah. just kind of try to catch you and keep you from landing on your head. But I mean, the first few months I tried to do a backflip, I was doing everything wrong. I was getting mattresses. I was jumping off of boxes from a height. I was trying pools and it was freaking me out, man. I was like, I was scared. It was the fear component that was getting to me. And then what I did is- Let me pause there. Jumping basically backwards is not what human beings naturally like to do. No, it's not. Yeah, you- <laughs> Your body is going to 
tense up because it doesn't it's unfamiliar with it it doesn't know what's going on so it's going to fight it and then it's going to freeze you and then you're going to land on your head but the way to get over fear in any movement that scares you and fear in general i think uh the way of kind of overcoming a fear is just building familiarity with with what it is that you're scared of so um i didn't know what i was doing but what the process i went through after that was the correct way of doing it i was daydreaming about backflipping i was visualizing i was i was studying it i was becoming familiar with it more and more and then one day i just woke up i was like i think i get it now like i just it's kind of like something clicked like i just it's i can't explain like you, you just know when you know yeah you know i just knew like i kind of get it so i had my friend come over i was like i think today's the day i'm going to do a backflip and sure enough it was i, I had him spot me and after a couple times you know, reviewing the footage I was doing 15 minutes later, I had it. And ever since then, I've had my backflip since I was 13 yeah. or uh, 15, rather 16. Not, yeah. as, not as young you were. You, how'd you learn yours then? You were well, what happened for me, this is really fun. Actually, I had uh, I had dinner last week with my gymnastics coach who I met when I was 13, I think, junior high school, whenever that is. And so he was a gym teacher. He was a like five-time national tumbling and three-time world tumbling champion. He was a gymnast from Ohio State, became a gym teacher. And he just one of the greatest teachers of all kind. I'll give a shout out. His name is Jack Leonard. And, uh, and so this is our first day at junior high middle school for people who know it that way. And the three gym teachers were giving like a talk on what the gym program was going to be like. And while the other two teachers were talking, Jack just very quietly got out of his chair, stepped behind them, did a standing backflip, and then just quietly sat back down. And I went, I want to be that guy. Oh my God. That's how it began. And I'd been a diver before that, but that's how it started. And my flashback is that when I first learned to do a standing back, and I don't really even remember how I learned it, but I remember at lunchtime going out on a little patch of grass in the parking lot and just like getting psyched, just like working my, you know, just getting psyched to throw it. And then by, at some point, God knows when um, I, I could do a standing backflip as easily as I could walk. I mean, I just didn't have to think about it at all. And it stayed like that for, you know, decades and decades. I mean, I've done literally tens of thousands of them. Wow. Yeah. I, I don't have that many, but I have a lot of backflips under my belt too. Got time. The thing, yeah, you're probably going to agree with me on this one. This is probably something from your experience. There's a, I've noticed there's been, you know, I've been backflipping for almost 20 years now. You've been backflipping for longer. So there's periods when you've lived this long where you don't backflip for six months, maybe a year. You know what I mean? And the thing is that every, this has happened several times. And the thing is like when you, uh, you just know how to do it as long as you're still in pretty good shape or you're in the right shape for it, the software it's, you've, it's wired. It's yeah. It's, wired. It's, it's a very, I, so I did research as an undergrad in cognitive aspects of motor skill acquisition. And the gist is you do these things long enough. And this is true, whether you're running, whether you're lifting, whether you're doing anything where it eventually just gets way back into your brain. And it's just, you kind of flip a switch and it just goes. The last time I did a standing back, I think it was, I might've been 50, 56. I'm not sure. It was, it was a number of years ago. And what was fascinating is um, I did a couple on the tramp just to make sure I didn't have my head up my butt um, or wasn't going to land with my head up my butt. And what was fascinating is my body knew how to do it, but my brain was like in a whole different space. So I set it up and then I kind of blacked out until I'm ready to put my feet on the ground. I had no awareness between the setting up 
and then having it finished, which was a really weird experience. And that's just from not having done it for a long time. Um, But, uh, but it's, but it's still wired in there. You know what it's like? I saw a video of, um, of Ben Johnson, the sprinter who got busted for doing drugs that he never took just for the sake of saying that. And Ben hadn't been on the track in God knows how long he put on, you know, 50 pounds since he was a competitive sprinter, but watching him come out of the blocks and run, he just looked like Ben Johnson sprinting. I mean, it was, it was just locked in. It was gorgeous. Um, So yeah, you know, this is the thing that, that for any movement you're doing, the better you get and the more you do it, the more it just gets wired. Now, the problem, of course, is you start doing something like, you know, wearing big, thick padded motion control shoes, you're wiring for a movement pattern that is not ideal. And then it takes a while to unwind that and lay down new neural pathways. But I want to back up to something you said that is that I really love. And I want you to elaborate for people who don't get it. When you made a comment about flexibility being as much about strength as just about things like stretching, can you say more about that? Yeah, I mean, basic flexibility science is that one of the things that, well, we were talking about a backflip a second ago, how the body is, you have to teach it how to do it and then it gets hardwired. But in the process of learning it, you're scared because your body's like, I don't know what this is. You know what I mean? Like, what, what are we doing? You know, you're going to hurt yourself. This is, you know, this is why it could be a little dangerous. With flexibility, it's the same thing. Your body's like, well, no, 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 wait. This range of motion isn't safe. We're not, I'm not going to let you go there. So it tenses up. So you're, you're here. And if anyone's listening to this, I'm, I'm coming, kind of forming like a triangle with my fingertips touching. And you're here and you're trying to go further in a split. And your body's like, no, 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 wait. This isn't okay. The thing is that if you stand next to a chair and you put one leg up on it in the size of the position, you can do that one leg. All right. Now you're going to do it with the other leg. Okay. So you're just proving yourself. There's no muscles that run in between the legs. So there's no reason you can't do the split other than your brain isn't letting you. Okay. So how do you get your brain to let you go to those ranges of motion that it doesn't feel comfortable going to? The thing is that you have to show it that you're strong enough in those ranges of motion that it's safe because strong is safe. So how do you build strength in those positions? Well, the basic technique of doing any sort of flexibility exercise where you're actually really testing good in ranges of motion, like a split is a good example, is you just get in that position where you're kind of forming a triangle with your legs, trying to go deeper, and then you just flex your muscles. So what's going to happen is when you're flexing your muscles, and I'm pretty sure you know all this, Stephen, but <laughs> you're probably hey, pretty aware for, of it's this. It's not for me, baby. <laughs> it's for the listeners, yeah. You know this. It's called the isometrics contraction. Is You're just flexing your muscles, and what it does is it shuts off a something called a stretch reflex in the brain and so when you shut it off it kind of scrambles it you've just kind of showed your body that it's it's safe in that position and it's going to allow you just to go just a little deeper just a little maybe half an inch to an inch and then you're going to sit in that position and your body's kind of acclimating itself to being in those deeper ranges of motion so over time just like training with weights your body gets stronger as you continue to progressively overload you kind of progressively overload these positions until you've kind of shown your body like hey it's safe in this position and then you're just in the splits and for me splits are a skill that's almost kind of like permanent like the backflip too so i've taken time off of doing uh front splits and side splits before and i've come back and the only thing i notice when i haven't done them for a long time is it just takes a little longer to warm up to get into that position so instead of like being able to get into it and like you know, full deep split in like 15, 20 minutes. It might take me 35, 45 minutes, you know, and it's more uncomfortable, but 
the skill is still there. What's you know? the warm up that you're doing to make that happen? Okay, so a lot of it is um, kind of working backwards from what the actual end position is. So even for a side split, for example, I'm going to do some upper back stretching because the body has to be upright. And then, you know, I'm going to kind of warm up the groin muscles. I'm going to use some exercises, like even just like attach a band to the bottom of a rack, hook it on the insole of my foot and just kind of like do like, like bringing my feet together. So it's just kind of even like a little groin pump. And also you do a lot of caustic stretches, which is just a basic stretch, a very good stretch where it's just kind of like it's moving through in ranges of motion without getting stuck. So it's, um, or any sort of stretch where there's movement, but not necessarily motion. So it's just a lot of movement, a lot of tensing, a lot of uh, just kind of getting everything moving and then taking rest sets in the process. So you don't just do all this nonstop. You do rest sets and your body is going to, things are going to happen in the cells of your body where it's acclimating to these um, stimuli that you're giving it. And the response is going to be that, well, it's the reason why you take rest sets when you strength train you know it's like <laughs> nobody does five by five deadlifts all in a row you have read that <laughs> you know right. it's kind of like i try to explain it to people who are stretching and trying to, want to get more flexible it's like well you do sets and you're what you're going to find is that when you do a set of a split and you do it the technique that i'm describing and you do a rest set of you know two and a half minutes to five minutes you're going to come back and oh wow wonder of wonders you're going to be going deeper and you're going to be stronger in that position you're going to feel more confident it's going to feel more solid i i think this is really important because i i don't think i've ever met anyone who breaks down stretching certainly thinking of it as kind of a strength exercise which it is um or and and they think of it often as just kind of like a bit of a warm up but that's not doing it justice because if you don't have the strength to go with it, you're not actually supporting the joints. You're putting yourself in a vulnerable position. And I don't know, I've never heard anyone else talk about doing uh, flexibility training in that same way as you would think about doing weightlifting strength training. Uh, and, and, and that's so valuable. The challenge that pops into my brain is, you know, many people are going to go, ah, crap, more stuff to do. But I'm hoping that we can impart the idea that this is actually the way you need to do it to make your body work better for whatever else you're doing, not just for the sake of being flexible, but because flexibility it, or yes, flexibility is a function of strength that if you really work that it's going to help the other things that you're doing. Oh yeah. So what you just said a second ago, um, you said, oh no, another thing I have to do. And I think that's the reason why a lot of people don't stretch is the first thing that pops in their mind is, oh, a laundry list. They think right. of a stretching book of exercises of 24 different stretches, like, oh God, I got to do all that. No, you don't. No, what you really need to do is figure out where you need flexibility and mobility and work backwards from there. Okay. So if you need it in a squat, well, break down the movement because if you're a power lifter, for example, break it down, work backwards from there and figure out two stretches. Don't do five, 15, 25 different stretches. Just figure out two movements that are going to be your best bang for your buck and do them the right way at the right times. Do them while you're, you know, and kind of like integrate them into your warm up or just at the end of a session. It does, you don't have to have an entire flexibility workout unless you want to be really flexible or do something like the side splits. You just kind of find the right place for it and what you're already doing. And if it's just, if we're just talking about straight up quality of life, just dude, flexibility is like, I'm so thankful for it 
all the time because, I mean, we just moved to a new warehouse too. It's not 90,000 square feet, but <laughs> you know, we were moving boxes, hella boxes for two days and all the dumb positions that you have to put yourself in when you're just doing manual work, just moving boxes from point A to point B across town. I'm just like, dude, like I'm able to stick my leg up on this truck bed in this really crazy looking way. And it's, it's both comfortable and intuitive and very functional and useful for me. I've built that capacity. I could just move in useful ways all the time. And I just, I feel so cool doing it. And like, I can, you know what I mean? Just like get underneath and around things, this large man just moving around like a spider. It's so fun. And it's just so useful to have. So I, I really think it's worth putting some development into for not just sport athletics, but quality of life. And it doesn't take 15 different exercises on its own, apart from what you're already doing when you're training, you know, it's just moving intelligently throughout your environment, you know, just being conscious of it. I mean, what, what's your take on it? Well, first of all, there's two things. You, or one thing you said that I really love that I want to highlight. And that is that once you start developing these new ways of moving, whether from flexibility or from anything else, it opens up your sort of repertoire of possibilities. And when you have that, that does change the way you live your life. I mean, speaking as a gymnast or pardon me, a former gymnast, um, I don't know anyone other than gymnasts who says things like, ah, God, I got to get upside down because there's something about being upside down. That's really satisfying, but most people just don't have that as a part of their repertoire of movement possibilities. And what you just described is opening up the set of possibilities, which really does change the way you live your life. Things that you can, that you think of that you can do that you, you didn't have, you know, in your toolkit until you develop these new skills and developing new skills. This is a weird one. I do little things like my latest project uh, is I'll ask you when you put on your pants, which leg do you use first? God, I never thought about that. It's, it's definitely the right leg. I noticed that it was my left leg first. So now I'm making a very concerted effort to go right leg first and I'm going to keep doing it. I don't, I don't do it every time because it's so habitual that I do left leg, but my goal is to get to the point where I can't remember which leg I actually use first normally. So, and I've gotten there like crossing your arms when you cross your arms, which arm is on yeah. top. Okay. Yeah. You got I your arm on top. All right. Now switch, get your right arm on top. Isn't that weird? That feels pretty good. That feels pretty good, actually. That one does. So, I'll tell you what feels weird is brushing your teeth with your other hand. <laughs> um, well, I had uh, I had shoulder surgery, and I'm right-handed. It was my right shoulder. I learned to do a lot of things with my left hand. Do not touch that line. So, um, so this anyway. The second thing you said that made me think about something in terms of just quality of life. If you had to think of, I'm going to make up a number, and you can change it. If you had to think of like five stretches or five parts of your body that you wanted to build, let's call it strong flexibility with, what would you tell someone to do? I'll tell you my go-tos. So, you know, these are obviously, I don't need to tell you how important they are. If I do them all the time, they're obviously important. I do them all the time. Um, one is just basic hanging. So just like, you know, like just passive hanging from a pull-up bar or a set of rings or anything like that. Um, you can just kind of switch between arms again, do sets, two sets, you know, one rest break in between two sets. I feel like that does a hell of a lot of good for your shoulder health, your upper back health, all that stuff. I'm going, yes, to, tendonitis. I'm going to interrupt you on that one. Cause I just read some research that I love about, um, about stretching under load. And when you're hanging, you're stretching under load that just stretching under load builds strength. Yes. Yes, it, it does. I mean, the, your body's heavy, gravity's pulling it yeah. and it's, there is some resistance there. 
the isometric stretching I was talking about a second ago is like a technique of building the splits. You don't actually have to flex your muscles in this position. It's just holding weight load. Like you said, it's just another way because there's no way you can fake it. It's like, look, you could squat with a barbell with no weight and and try to make it heavy by by acting like it's heavy or you just add weight to it. Which one are you going to do? You're you're just going to add weight, dude. So you could just do some stretches with holding like a small amount of weight. That way you don't have to fake the tensions. Um, Other stretches that are good that I really like to do, hangs are perfect. I'm always going to do them until I'm dead. Um, The Cossack stretch is another one because it's such a – it has so many possibilities. You can kind of move your foot position around. Wait, so what's this one? The caustic stretch. So you you um, you kind of squat down and you kind of come down on one side and straighten the other leg. You know what I'm talking about? Got it. Yeah, Cossack, kind of switch. Cossacks. Yeah, appropriate. Cossacks. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then uh, a warrior lunge is good. Uh, you know what that one is? Uh, yes, but please describe it for other humans. So a warrior lunge is you kind of get into a, a staggered stance. So like you're going to do a lunge like mm-hmm. with weight, but then your back knee is on the ground and then you just kind of move your front foot forward and you can either have the knee go over the toe or you can have the foot go before it. it doesn't really matter because really what you're focusing on is stretching just kind of the hips, the, the very back of the front leg. It's just, you'll feel it. You just kind of move in and out of it, switch sides. I mean, and then aside from those three, which are more like static stretches or more like slow movement based stretches, I just think slinging your arms around is really healthy. (laughs) Dynamic swings of the arms, just slinging them around, working up to doing them a little faster, doing a little wider ranges of motion. Um, I've even seen athletes that um, like football athletes do a lot of those type of stretches too intuitively without even knowing that they were doing them. You know what I mean? There's just, they just kind of, unconsciously knew that that was, you know, if they're nervous, they're just like, this is what they're working on. So, I mean, I, those four are good enough to work with. Other than that, just kind of look at the different places in your environment and during your day, that's like sticking points where you can, you know, squat down a deep squat, you know, to get something underneath the cupboard or a table, you should be able to do that. You know, one that I do, you just reminded me of it. Um, and, and I don't even think about it because it's just part of my brain is I'll put the newspaper on the counter or, you know, we have a, like a kitchen Island and I'll stick one leg up on the counter. So I've got, yeah. so basically it's sort of a side split or half side split. And then I switch legs and just not, not for any reason. It's just like, uh, instead of standing, I can do some other thing that feels good. That gets the blood moving in a different way. I've noticed that like when I'm having long conversations with people, like let's say it's in a gym or it's like in a parking lot or something. And it's, you know, have you heard of the term parking lot syndrome or it's no. like two people are taught. We had a joke for parking lot syndrome is when, uh, you know, two people who just finished, uh, maybe it was a dinner or it was a workout or something. And just standing and talking in the parking lot for a long time and nobody's going to leave before the other person, you know, and it's just like, and eventually yeah. like, all right, bye. You know what I mean? That's parking lot syndrome. But during situations like that, I, I've, I've found that I'll do what you did, you know, I'll just like start to prop up a leg on something or just kind of angle or just start taking my arm and wedging it. It's just intuitively just like, just cause I want to, cause it feels good. You know? Oh, you, you just remind me of another one that I'm doing. I noticed that when I put my, if I put on a jacket, I was doing right arm first and then reaching behind my body to do my left arm. And so I've switched that around. So I'm going left arm first then reaching behind my body to do my right arm because my right shoulder is the one that's usually a little more tight from gymnastics things. So it's building flexibility just by putting on my clothes. 
Yeah. <laughs> Man, that one sounds hard. I have a hard enough. <laughs> no, no, it does. I have a hard enough. I mean, I have pretty wide shoulders. So putting on backpacks is a pain in the ass for me because like they're not big enough. I'll have to take that slack in that backpack buckle and just go all the way. So it's just all eaten up and I'm still sitting there fighting to get this. And then it catches on my watch and I'm just like, oh, God. you know what I mean? It's just a oh my God. Ass. No, I know that one. So I wear this, I, I got this bracelet that I've worn for 30 years and uh, coming through TSA, I was putting my backpack back on. Then I got to the, I got to the end of the plane and I realized it was gone. And oh, no. back on the backpack had hit the little thing that, you know, knocked it off. And amazingly, when I landed, I think I was going to Europe and I uh, called back and they found it. And so I was uh, greatly relieved because it was a gift that I really treasured. And whew, so I don't have the same issue putting on backpacks. I'm way smaller than you are, but I get it. Yeah, you're at a point now where you're just getting clothes that fit are challenging, which is, I am guessing, why you started one of your businesses. Yeah, 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 clothes. I don't even want to. <laughs> I don't want to go there, man. It's just like, I can't even imagine if you're that much bigger. It just gets ridiculous. Like, but one of the things I sell is a pair of pants called Gigi Mufu pants. And uh, they're very, they're the most flexible pants in the world. That's what I market them as. And they are, you know what I mean? It's like, uh, you can really pick up your knees and move through full ranges of motion. And the amount of freedom they have is just incredible. And then you can also pull them up to right below your kneecaps. A lot of people wear sweatpants and they'll just kind of like a Capri style. Yeah. But a lot of times sweatpants will just roll back down or just fall down. They will stay. And it's just once you put them on, like, you're good. They're really comfortable. And I've gotten a hell of a lot of good feedback and still sell them. So I love them. I almost hate to ask this question because um, I think more people have probably asked you this than many of the other questions I've asked you that many other people have asked prior to me. How did uh, Juji Mufu happen? The name? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I was 13 and I was trying to get a new screen name on America Online. And when you type in a name that's already taken, it's going to throw a bunch of numbers at the end of it. So, you know, you want to be Goku? Oh, I'm sorry. You're Goku 1,333,452. Great. I'm just a big number string. So I was trying to think of a name that wasn't taken. I can't believe how many names were taken back then because everything I tried for like half an hour was taken. I didn't want a name with numbers. And as a 13 year old, I had like the self-awareness to realize I had been sitting there for half an hour trying to think of a name. I was like, I'm wasting my time. I just need to pick something. So I just, yeah, Juju Mufu. Just said, just spat it out real quick. And it logged me in. I was like, <laughs> well, okay, well, I guess I'm Juju Mufu. And the thing was, Stephen, that I started using that to communicate with people on forums and online. And, you know, I built a web community a couple of years after that. It had a large number of members. I was stuck with the name and I just never bothered to change it. So it's just some <laughs> dumb shit a 13 year old made. You know, there, there are decisions that 13 year olds have made that are way worse than that one. So I think you came out pretty well unscathed. I have two reasons I'm okay with it is one is, you know, when people realize that's how I came up with it, they realize I'm not trying to come off a certain way. They're like, Oh, you made that when you're 13, you got stuck with it. I get it. The other reason is, it's such a dumb name. It really kind of keeps me level-headed. Like I can't be super, take myself super seriously when my name is Juju Mufu. You know, <laughs> you know, what I mean? it's just such a dumb name. Okay, I'm a clown, I guess. So it, it, it's been a blessing. It, it's been a blessing. I think you need some sort of stuffed animal that is the the embodiment of Juju Mufu. Something I don't know what it would be, but something where people can take it home with them. 
No, it's a stuffed juji. What is it? Uh, no, I'm saying uh, I don't yeah. know. But I mean, we got it's got you got you got to get something. It's got to be like you know one of those Olympic mascots, except not one of the creepy ones, um, but something that you know gives people that thing where, where I, I think I'm I'm totally serious, man. Um, I think people would totally get off on it. Okay, I have to think about what that would be. You'll need to, you'll need to find some sort of you know fabric artist who gives you a few ideas, and then you're going to go that one. It's going to be. <laughs> I don't even know what it, I can't even imagine what it would look like, but I'm, but it would be a fun one. Mm-hmm. All right. So on to some other things for humans. So we've talked about flexibility. We can talk about strength too. And, and we talked about like agility and gymnastics. And by the way, I'm going to recommend, that's another thing I kind of recommend for almost anyone is go find like a basic gymnastics class or go hang out with some cool break dancers or trickers or somebody just wait to, again, to learn some new thing and to, to discover that you can do something that you didn't know you could do. It doesn't have to be a standing backflip, it could be a handstand, it could be a cartwheel or a round off, but just something like, I think that people don't have a, I'm using the word repertoire, a bunch of repertoire of movements that is as big as it could be. And there's so many that people could find. So, you know, that's sort of where I go. And then of course, strength training. This is one of these things where the research could not be more clear that strength training is beneficial. In fact, um, here's one that I, I found out about just a little while ago in a podcast I did with Dr. Isabel Sacco. She took a bunch of runners in regular shoes and had half of them do an eight week foot strengthening exercise program. And those runners had 250% fewer injuries than the runners who didn't. And it was a really, it's a program you could do at home. I'm actually trying to put it together into an ebook. And I mean, that's an amazing thing to have two and a half times fewer injuries in this study by just doing a little eight week strengthening program that you're doing mostly sitting down watching TV if you want to. Um, And it's outrageous, but basically because regular shoes don't let your feet move. So they get weaker over time. And you know, building back that strength. So, um, uh, so let's talk about the strength training thing. And you already mentioned progressive overload, which I'll have you define that for people as well. But, but it amazes me that runners, for example, they don't want to strength train because a, they're afraid of quote, getting bigger because they think they're going to be unable to do all these things that you prove that they can still do. Um, or they think it's going to be more difficult or they think it's just, you know, I need to be running. It's like, take a day off, take two days off or add something. So let's talk about, you know, whatever insight you want to give about adding strength training in a way that again, doesn't become yet another thing on your to-do list. So that might be actually kind of hard for me because my, my universe is kind of like strength training is a center of it and kind of goes outwards. So I actually wouldn't really know what to recommend to a runner and how to integrate strength training into what they do if they're really focused on running. So actually, I I don't know about that. Then let's just do, let's just do strength training 101 then for regardless of what someone's doing. Okay. So, I mean, basically it's, you know, if, if you've never done any strength training before, what I, you know, instead of getting the specifics, like, oh, you need to do these exercises, this rep set, rep set scheme and this load and blah, blah, blah. And this, like, I mean, really what I tell people is, and this is the way I started, Stephen, is you go to a gym. And so the reason I was in a gym when I was younger was because it was daycare for me. <laughs> my parents bought me a gym membership, which is right across from my high school. And this was before I couldn't drive. And they're like, look, we bought you a gym membership. This is where you're going to stay until we pick you up. You can work out if you want, or you could just sit in the lobby and do your homework. We don't care what you do. So I was like, okay, whatever. So I'm sitting in the gym. I'm like, why wouldn't I work out? I hate homework. So I just started doing things like I'm, I'm like, 
I don't know. This is a machine that you pull towards you or something. Okay. So I'm just kind of doing that. I'm like, Hey, what's that guy doing? I think they're called dips. Okay. I'm going to do dips. I just did what I wanted. You know, I just had fun. And what I realized was it was more fun to push myself mm. and to do more weight or to, to try to go heavier or do it better. So as, cause it's boring if it's not a little challenging. So I just started trying things. And then after a couple of years, I mean, it was years before I started doing squats and deadlifts and stuff. I still built a really good physique just doing whatever workouts you know just going in there and just like doing this and that for you know usually you're doing like you know you do like 10 repetitions because that's that's about right to get the feeling that you're kind of chasing you know and i think that's a healthy way of getting into strength training that way you're not sitting there doubting yourself or trying to hold yourself to a standard that you don't need to have you just need to move and feel good and you'll find what movements that you like best and then as you get more into it you're going to start to look at the things that you probably need but haven't been doing and then just kind of go from there but well look i don't want to uh, pat myself on the back too much about this but what you just said is you know part of what i said at the intro it's like if you're not having fun do something different until you are find a way to find like find one exercise that you can do in a way that you find enjoyable challenging enough that you're going to want to try and do it better or more or something just do one and take it from there. I think that would be a super way for someone to think about getting into it. It doesn't feel like a thing. And look again, you can do it in odd. You don't have to go set aside some time when you're washing the dishes, when you're watching TV. I started doing this thing after dinner. I just realized this. I have a little, um, it's a weird, it's hard to describe what this is. It's, let's call it a little stepping thing. A little, it, it's hard. It, it's a thing where you're kind of walking in place. Best way I can describe mm-hmm. it. There's actually a fun story about it. It's the it's the best purchase I ever made on Craigslist. It's is it a, a dune? No, no. This is it's called the Exciser, X I S E E R, and um, it's like five hundred bucks. It's crazy. And I I saw one on Craigslist and it said twenty dollars. It's from California. And I called the guy. I said twenty dollars. He goes, Yeah, I got a friend. He's got a garage full of stuff, and he just wants me to get rid of it all. I think this thing's like worth a hundred dollars. And I didn't say it's worth $500. Um, I said, you know, you're not supposed to buy things at a distance on Craigslist. So I feel a little anxious even sending you 20 bucks sight unseen. He goes, I'll just send it to you. And if you like it, you can send me 20 bucks back. It's like, uh, okay. It cost him like $30 to send it to me. And he took $20. So anyway, the, I set it up so that after dinner, when my wife, I make dinner and then Lane and I will go down and like watch TV, watch a movie. And so I just spend the first 10 minutes just on the steppy thing. Cause I just, it's just a way to <laughs> digest my food, do a little movement. Doesn't it's, it's not getting in the way of my life at all. It's like while she's, you know, flipping through the channels to find something, I'm just doing a little something that I find really fun. That's great. I like how you said digest your food too, because I'll do movement, cardio, walk or something like a lot of people won't move right after eating. Well, you know, it kind of helps to know it's great. I mean, it is, it it really is. So um, it's actually interesting what you just said a minute ago, you said find one movement that's fun that you like to do. That's exactly what I tell people when they ask me, how do I get into the acrobatic stuff that you do? How, How do I start? I'm like, well, you pick one move and just one, and then you get that. And if you want to do more after that, you do more. And usually I tell them like, you know, you, you mentioned cartwheels and handstands and going to a gymnastics gym and, and getting a little bit more library of movement in your repertoire. It's really good. Also going to those gyms is, has another benefit, as you know, of you take your shoes off. 
<laughs> get to move around on the floor. I mean, I've been training, like, again, uh, I started doing the acrobatic stuff by going in my backyard and trying moves that I saw on the internet. You know what I mean? And just learning one move. I just want that move. I just get that move. I get another move. But it all involved jumping around barefoot in my backyard, you know, and I spent, gosh, like more than half my life, like doing really hard skills on grass outside barefoot. You should see my feet, man. They're white as hell. Like when I take off my shoes, people like in the strength industry make fun of me. They're like, look at those hobbit feet. I was like, yeah, they're called muscles. <laughs> I got lots of muscles in my feet. They're really strong, robust feet. They're very, very good. But it all came from doing things barefoot. So Yeah. Yeah, well, that's the interesting thing, like backing up to the Isabel Sacco study about reducing injury risk by 250% by doing this foot strengthening program. There's research from Sarah Ridge that says you can get the same benefits from doing a foot strengthening program uh, by just walking around in minimal shoes or she didn't do barefoot. She did it in shoes, but obviously just walking barefoot would give you the, the same kind of benefits. And it's, it's one of those things that it amazes me when I see older people who are having mobility issues having doctors recommend that they get into some big, thick, stiff, padded shoe. It's like, you know that the higher you get, the tippier your balance is. And if you can't feel anything, you're not getting feedback that you can. I mean, it's a mystery to me how things have gotten so perverted. I mean, using your feet is, is a skill. I mean, there's actually like a language of describing how to use your feet. You know, rooting is one of the words that's yeah. used. You know, it, it's it's how you kind of, you probably know the exact definition, but what I know of rooting is it's it's kind of like a spread of your toes where you're kind of, kind of almost like you're kind of grabbing the ground. You're not like clawing it, but it's just like, you're just kind of rooting yourself into it. Is that right? Well, in Tai Chi, they refer to it sort of the other way around that when you get your foot and your body in the right alignment, you feel like there's something coming up from the ground into your body to hold you up. And, and you can get that feeling where it just feels effortless to have this kind of strength. It doesn't feel like what you're doing. It feels like it's almost happening to you. It's just proper alignment. And so, but yeah, some of it really is just letting the toes spread. So you're not gripping, gripping, but they're engaged and you're engaging the foot uh, kind of from heel all the way to toe. It's giving you that contact so that if someone comes and tries to push you, you feel like it feels to them like they're trying to push over a tree. They're pushing. It's not you're not making effort for it. You're not trying to resist. It's just that everything is lined up well. And so it does feel like simultaneously you're putting these roots into the ground and you're being supported by the ground in reverse. It's basically Newton's law, equal and opposite reactions. Yeah. And I think like knowing consciously, it starts by trying to do it intentionally, yeah. but the more you do it, just like we're talking about backflips, the more you do it, the more it automatically becomes, you can just do one anywhere. You know yeah. what I mean? When you're in condition for it. So it's like, you don't even have to think about what you're doing anymore. Your feet are just, they're doing the right thing there that you're just kind of, you're more, you're in a better position. And it just, especially like people ask me sometimes, like, how do you not get injured? Because I do so many different things like chair splits and like some really dumb looking lifts you know, like that most people are like, dude, you're asking for an injury. It's like, I do not get almost any injuries. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm very good at, it. I think it, a big part of it, Steven, it's just not the robustness of my feet from training yeah. barefoot for so long. It's just, it's like a guardian angel. You know what I mean? It's just like something there is protecting me. And 
the longer you do it, you know, the more automatic it is, the more habitual you just, you're just doing things in that way. And then it's, it's hard to put on normal shoes sometimes. Like my, my pinky toe of my foot will bust out the side of a narrow toe box shoe. I, Why are you even I, trying? What are you even doing trying to put those on? Because they look good sometimes, but you know, <laughs> they look good sometimes, but you know, this is why you release more colorways and, and, and more styles, you know, because the style still matters, you know what I mean? But true, you know, uh, sometimes you just, no matter how cool something looks, I can't freaking wear it, you know, it just hurts too bad. So well, don't you know, even bother. We, we have this kind of, we have a mission in a way. Um, it's been starting to happen with uh, airline flight attendants, female flight attendants, where a lot of the airlines have rules that they have to wear heels or they have to wear heels when they're greeting passengers or ex- having the passengers exit the plane. And then otherwise they can wear some other shoe, but still nothing that's actually comfortable. And we think this whole idea that pretty is supposed to be painful is absurd. And it's really just societal. It's not like a flat shoe is less attractive or a woman in a flat shoe is less attractive than a woman in a high heel or in a pump or whatever else. It's just what we're kind of used to and acclimated to. And we, um, we're trying to partner with some of these airlines to try and change that and make it so that you know pretty can be comfortable and just change the idea of what attractive means. Now, that doesn't mean you don't wear high heels every now and then. You don't wear something that you know it's for effect totally fine but you're strong enough to be able to handle that yeah so um i can wear other types of shoes and stuff that's a little bit more restrictive that you know a lot of people develop problems with because i've have such a long history of training barefoot right and, and building that you know that that foot ability but you know when it comes right down to it you know a lot of times you know i can't i have to have some but my feet are so damn wide at this point i need something yeah. that feels it just wouldn't even occur to me, frankly. In fact, I mean, for me, the, the joke is that I spend most of my time barefoot still. Like I'm going into Costco every week, usually barefoot. If I'm wearing shoes, I wear mismatched colors so people notice. And I, was, <laughs> I was at the pharmacist, I don't know, about a month ago. And the guy behind me says, hey, your shoes don't match. And without looking or missing a beat, the pharmacist says, he's wearing shoes? So it's, and it's super fun. I mean, the, the floor, if you haven't been in a grocery store in the produce section on a hot summer day, barefoot, when the little mister goes off to wet the produce, it's sort of like the adult version of running through a sprinkler. It's the best. Wow. I've never done that. Oh yeah. Do it. Just even the fact that you're able to even, oh man, it's, it's amazing. Like how many people have the experience of being barefoot in a grocery store and feeling the misters in the produce section I know. hit your feet. It's like, it's such a, it's such a rare thing to, yeah, it's cool. It just occurred to me, like, you know, let's just see. I mean, the joke is the only place I've ever really been hassled is at Whole Foods, the place where you would think they'd be cool if you're barefoot. And um, I go, look, it's okay if you're breastfeeding your dog, but it's not okay if you're barefoot. It makes no sense. So um, uh, that's the only place. But, but and I, in fact, I said to them when they said, you know, you need to wear shoes. I said, why? They said, well, you could step on something. I said, what about that dog? Dog doesn't have shoes. He could step on something. Yeah. They're like, huh. Well, hmm. they didn't have a good answer. So I just go yeah. in barefoot when I can, just because, I, well, for two reasons, one, I enjoy being barefoot and the other is I'm lazy. So if I don't have to put on shoes, it's just, you know, that's one other thing I don't have to do. Yeah. That's really cool. Sometimes I just like wearing shoes though, because I don't know how to break this habit or if I even need to, but it just makes me feel like it's kind of like, okay, the day started time to get work done. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, look, I, I can tell you one day I'm walking into the office and I, it's a summer day. 
Um, I'm wearing my cargo shorts. I'm wearing a zero shoes t-shirt. My hair was particularly big. Um, I'm bare feet. And I see myself in the reflection of the window of the door. And I went, ah, crap, I'm that guy. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny. But you're like, Oh yeah. I like that. That's okay. I'm all right. <laughs> it's not, it's not a problem. So uh, let's um, l- let's sort of wrap this up with a couple of things. Tell people what you're up to and how they can find out more about what you're doing, just seeing you because you've done, you got so much video content. That's such a blast, but you're also, you know, doing things to help people with uh, fitness and everything else. So why don't you tell them what you're up to and how they can find you? So I have a YouTube channel. It's Juju Mufu, J-U-J-I-M-U-F-U. I do longer form content, a lot of collaborations with some of the other best people in fitness industry and stuff like that. So they're more dialogue-based videos. I have an Instagram, same. It's at Juju Mufu, J-U-J-I-M-U-F-U. It's kind of more fun content, more crazy lifts and stuff like that. And I have a website, jujumufu.com, where I sell uh, the most flexible pants in the world, um, some ammonia-based smelling salts for heavy lifts, as well as some programs. So yeah, check me out. A on any shock. What a shock. You were able to get at Juji Mufu and jujimufu.com. I can't believe they weren't taken. <laughs> it's uh, you know what? It, it is taken on a few places. I started noticing it, uh, not to keep this too long, but I can remember I've had that name since what, like 2000, 2002 or something. And uh, in 2008, I tried to sign up for like eBay and Gmail and all that stuff. And it was taken back then before social media, really. <laughs> Well, you know, there's some people who they just hear it and they look and if it's not taken, they're, you know, they're going to try and rip off your own, your own identity that we could go into that for ages. Um, I've spent thousands of dollars because I didn't think to register zero shoes dot some weird thing in some bizarre place that we never thought we would do business. And now we're doing business there. And it's like, all right, here's a grand um, or a okay. hundred dollars. Or my favorite was a guy owned one of our domains. And I said, do you want to sell it? And he goes, Oh, I'm one of your, one of your biggest fans. I've got like 10 pairs of your shoes. I said, can I give you a, like, he said, give me a pair of shoes and I'll give you the domain. I said, how about I give you two? He goes, great. So um, <laughs> some people who aren't so kind. That's amazing. That's that. I like that. It's like, Oh, I'm a fan. I just, uh, yeah, I'll take some shoes. <laughs> yeah, it was a good one. So anyway, um, Juju was a total, total pleasure. And um, let me just do the sign off. And then we got more to chat about. So for everyone else, first of all, thank you so much for being here. A uh, reminder again, check out everything that Juju's doing. And if you want to find out more about what's happening on the movement movement, go to www.jointhemovementmovement.com. And if you have any questions, if you have any recommendations, people who you think you should be on the show, if you want to tell me my head is firmly up my butt, whatever, I don't care. If you want to just reach out to me, just drop me an email. That's at move at jointhemovementmovement.com. But most importantly, of course, go out, have fun and live life feet first.